large facility that you're going to walk yourself to death trying to chase down things. And <laughs> it's by the 15th lap around, I'm like, oh, I'm getting old. But thank God, thank God for our beautiful church and, um, and his requirement for us to, to keep th- some things. I, c- I can't help but laugh every time I look up at the screen and it says pro presenter right there. It's just like I failed as a pastor. Here, here we are, four months in, and I've already failed. I, I'm joking. I'm joking. Thanks for, thanks for being there. But here we have uh, holidays coming up. We have, of course, our holiday, our, our lighthouse holiday bash coming up on December second. Uh, there it is up on the screen. Uh, before pro presenter decides to take it off the screen. December 2nd at 5 o'clock, we have our our Lighthouse Holiday Bash. We're going to have a good time of fellowship and fun, and we're going to eat. So uh, I hope everybody's looking forward to that. Be a part. Come out. Invite some friends. Let's let's have a good time. We do need some volunteers. If you would like to volunteer in any way, please see Sister Kathy Wisniewski. She will will, uh, crack the whip and help um, help you be a better person and be a complete person in your, in your endeavors and your, your work there. Uh, let's see, um, our holiday schedule. Okay, we're, we're in that time of the year, and everybody's probably wondering. Uh, we have Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve falling on a Sunday this year. So what our plan is to have service, we will have service on Christmas Eve, a regular service on Christmas Eve, uh, but New Year's Eve, we will not be having service. I know so many of you guys are headed over to New York to watch the ball drop or, or whatever the case may be. No, no I'm kidding. It's, that's going to be a good time. I know people are going to be going out of town doing various things. So on New Year's Eve, no service. Christmas Eve, service. <laughs> the kids are like, what? Christmas Eve service? No. <laughs> no, that, that'll be a good time. Uh, uh, Christmas Eve, I, I know several years ago, just whenever I started evangelizing, I preached over in Auburn Hills uh, at, the, uh, <laughs> at the, the larger church there, um, the Apostolic Church, and it was actually Christmas Day on Sunday. And uh, whenever Brother Warman called me to preach that service, I was like, it's Christmas Day. How many people are going to be there on Christmas Day? So I get there, and the place is packed. And I was shocked that so many people came to, uh, came to church on Christmas Day. And I knew that I was, in, I was in for it because every child in the house was going to be looking at me like, you're the only person standing between me and opening all of my gifts right now, so you'd better get after it. But we had a great time, so I anticipate this year as well on Christmas Eve uh, having a wonderful church service, but New Year's Eve. Now, that's not a license to get your, get your party on, to get all, get, get all ready to, uh, to, to party down. Well, you can, I guess, as long as you keep it righteous, right? right? That'd be good. So New Year's Eve, no service. Christmas Eve, service. All right. I'm going to have to get somebody. To, I, I think I'm going to start recruiting some people to do announcements because I'm going through like 20 minutes of announcements before I ever get to my message. All right. Page one, done. Uh, we have a call list for any uh, uh, inclement weather calls, uh, for any updates, um, any updates um, uh, for whatever reason. 
uh, we have a call list. If you'd like to be on that call list, please see Brother Jeff Wisniewski right over here holding his hand up with that beautiful glare off the top of the, the head. You can see him. You can't look too closely to him because you'll get, you'll get blinded. Uh, I can say that, obviously, because I blind you guys every Sunday with the glare on my head. But, but looking forward to that. So many prayer requests, so many, uh, so many things going on this week. Um, Brother Overton had his procedure, and he is he's slowly coming along. Continue to pray for him. Uh, we had the call out if anyone would like to bring a card for him. Uh, to, to send to him this week. We will get that to him. If you brought your card, please leave it at the uh, Welcome Center. If you forgot and did not bring a card, there are a few cards there that someone has so graciously purchased that you can just swoop in and you can put your name on and it can seem like that you did not forget and, and that is fine. So if you'd like to uh, be involved with that to get him a card uh, of support, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, how many, how many remembers Brother Hoffman, Brother Harold Hoffman, who preached my installation service back in August? Our pastor, wonderful man of God, he, uh, he was, he's been sick for the past couple of weeks and all of a sudden went into the hospital and they said, there's a mass on your brain. So uh, he had surgery on Wednesday of this past week to have, a, a, have it biopsied and they were able to remove most of the mass, he's doing fine, just waiting on word from the, uh, the testing of uh, the biopsy to see what's going on there. So please continue to be in prayer for Brother Overton and uh, my pastor, uh, Brother Hoffman, uh, this week. Um, how many enjoyed Sister, Sister Connie? Man, I enjoy that. Yeah. Love that word. Man, I just I, I feel like it's the will of God that she become a regular speaker on, on Sunday mornings here. She just had such a wonderful word. I love that. I actually wrote down, uh, uh, whenever, I, whenever I start to get a little frustrated, I'm going to use that phrase. Of course, she used it, you know, because it's scriptural, but I, there was just something the way she said it that just had a little bit of oomph to it. So anytime I'm starting to get irritated by the enemy, I'm just going to say, Sister Connie said to get the hints. Get the hints. I, I, I'm not even going to say a, a modern word there. I'm going to use that word that she used, hints, because that has a little extra ring of power to it. And if anybody's bothering me this week, I'm going to say get the hints. If, if you better look out if you come to me and you got a little problem with me, I'm just going to say Sister Connie said to get the hints. No, I appreciate her. <laughs> I appreciate her words today. That was a, uh, that was a wonderful uh, wonderful, wonderful word, and I appreciate that so much. Yeah, let's give her another hand clap. I love, I love the wisdom of our elders, but not only the wisdom, but man, she's just got so much spunk. You know, every time she speaks, she's just got so much life um, and, and energy, and and uh, it just it stirs something within me. She says, I, she, she's looking at me right now, like I don't feel like I have a lot of energy. Well. Trust me, we feel like you, you are uh, very much needed in our, uh, in our church, in our congregation. Your voice is needed, and we, we love and appreciate you so much. All right, let's get into the word of the Lord. After all of those announcements, tons of prayer requests that, that we will pray for at the end of service. Um, it's good to see uh, Bobby and Bonnie. Bobby and Bonnie here today. 
we're going to pray for uh, a loved one of them of theirs at the end of service. But they are um, longtime um, associates of the church in, in some way. And it's so good to see you, you guys here today. We appreciate you coming. And we look forward to you being here more in the future uh, as well. So let's get into the word of the Lord, if pro presenter will allow it. <laughs> Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 43. Thank you, pro presenter, for allowing us this word today. Give praise to pro presenter. <laughs> Just kidding. Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 43. If you have it for a moment. Say amen. Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. The emphasis here I will give to this last, this last sentence. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. We're going to speak today on this subject, separation of church and church. Separation of church and church. You may be seated. And I know many of you, as soon as I give that title, your mind immediately goes to separation of church and state because that's something that we in this country have come to believe is some sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, doctrinal, doctrinal truth and constitutional truth in our country. But separation of church and state is actually nowhere anywhere in, in the Constitution or any of the founding documents, which is interesting in that if you listen to the pundits speak every, every other day, they're going to hammer that down on you every chance they get. There must be a separation. There must be a, a separation. There must be a separation between church and state. It's, in, it's right there, and all of us believe that it is, but it, it's not there. And there's a reason they want you to believe that there should be a separation of church and state. It's because they want it to be completely separate and not influenced whatsoever from one to the other. So here we have in our text, and we'll get into it a little bit more there, um, individual focus uh, of the text is focused, of course, on this person uh, or a theoretical person that is delivered but finds uh, nothing to fill the empty place where he came to a place of repentance and, and swept the house, put it in order, and drove out the wicked one, but did not replace it with something. And we've spoken about that before. It is essential that you not only clean, but you must replace and fill with something good whenever you, whenever you drive out, in this case, the wicked one. Uh, so the, in, the, the focus is, of course, on the individual here, but it goes beyond that, as the, the last sentence suggests, whenever it throws in the word generation. It goes to much more than an individual. It goes to an entire society, an entire generation of people, an entire country. 
even an entire world. It broadens quickly with the, just the insertion of that last sentence right there. It broadens from an individual to much more than an individual. It's, it's something that we need to understand about the spirit world and how it, how it works and how it propagates and not only us and upon us, but in the society around us. So here we have, uh, speaking of spirits, the Shadeen, as it were, the, the, the spirits, the wicked one. We have, uh, we have the spirits that influence. But then we don't, we don't just have that. We also have this other thing that we contend with, and it's called lust. Lust that is common to man. So that's something that we also have to differentiate, that we have to figure out what we're talking about here. Are we talking about a power, a spiritual influencer? Or are we talking about lust that's common to man that all of us deal with and contend with every single day as living, breathing human beings? There's a separateness there that we need to understand. And the scripture here is talking about a much broader, much, much greater authority, spiritual authority that is the wicked one, that is a controlling power. Uh, the Bible often talks about spirits and uh, it graduates from there up to principalities and uh, from there rulers, rulers of darkness in higher places. And that's to let us know there is a hierarchy of spiritual wickedness and, and, and powers that influence not only individuals, not only regions, but states and also countries and ultimately the world. There is a hierarchy on and on it goes. Uh, and because of that hierarchy of spiritual wickedness. Now, we're not just talking, like I said, we're not just talking about common human lust. We're talking about spiritual wickedness. We're talking about powers that influence. Because of that power uh, 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 and influence in areas, uh, there was something very interesting about the about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about His death, burial, and resurrection, and His insertion into the world of His gospel, of His death, of His burial, and of His resurrection, that caused the wicked powers to be pushed back to some degree. In some areas more than others. And there was something very interesting about Western society at an early, early, early stage of, of, um, of history, global history, there was something about Western society beginning in Europe and ultimately spreading to the New World, America. There was something about us and all of our flaws and all of our errors that for some reason we did something right in that we embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. We embraced it. Sure, we didn't have all the truth over the centuries and over the years. Sure, we didn't have all, and we, we were in error in so many ways, but we still, we gravitated toward that fundamental gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Western society embraced that gospel message, it caused the spiritual wickedness to be pushed back, to be held back to be held at bay. And, and I thank God for that. And I thank God that most of us, even in our lifetimes, we grew up in, in a country, in a society that could appreciate 
right and wrong. The differentiation between right and wrong. We had this understanding because the gospel was embraced and the wicked one was pushed back. We had this freedom to understand that there is moral right and there is moral wrong. And there is something called uh, Judeo-Christian values that we begin to understand and we were in all of us in here we were in a sense born with understanding and our society readily embraced that's not to say that we didn't do anything wrong that our society had no problems or no were in error in any way of course we were but there was something very special about uh, America in general that embraced the gospel message that caused wickedness to be held back to some degree held back and held at bay all through history there's been different levels of revelation of God God trying to reveal himself and revealing himself through progressive revelation through the centuries more and more to various groups to whosoever will to whoever was hungry to whoever whoever would push something to the side and begin to focus on him there was something about God all through the years he would begin to reveal more and more of himself and the more God revealed in our society, there was something about wicked generations and wicked people who said, I don't want to know any more about this God. I don't want to know any more about this, this good versus evil mystical figure in the sky that you guys talk about. I, I don't want to know any more about this. So there's this, there was this desire from powerful people there was this desire from common people that began to bubble up and to surface that began to try to secularize all of society going back to the the separation of church and state common there was this desire to make sure that that we are a secular removed from god society and we need to focus only on our society and our government and our, hmm, our knowledge of such. Let's just leave it there. So this increasingly secular society over the years began to just permeate all areas of society. And more people over the years just embraced early on maybe just parts of it than gradually more and more of it this understanding and this idea of a secular society and the idea of being a secular society is simply this it is simply neutral of God we're simply neutral of God you if you want to have God you can have God over there but uh, we're gonna be secular we're gonna build a society build our country build our Western society as being neutral of God because after all who can say whose God is right and whose God is wrong etc etc the idea goes so we're just going to be neutral of God we're going to be secular but the problem is there is no neutrality in the spirit there's no neutrality in the spirit there is no concept of neutrality in the spirit there is brutal, brutal warfare in the spirit. There is either wicked 
or there is good. There is either wickedness or there is either righteousness. Secular cannot, cannot truly be neutral. There is no neutrality in the Spirit. You are emptying the house as it were. That's my, fa- my wife's favorite phrase that I use right there, as it were. You are simply sweeping the house. You're trying to sweep the house and to clean it of anything and make it neutral. We're going to push back everything and we're just going to clean this house. But secular always becomes pagan. Always. Anytime you try to rid yourself of God and say that you were neutral or agnostic of Him, you always, and a society especially, always becomes pagan. It's a staple, a staple of ancient paganism. A staple of ancient paganism is to focus on many truths, not just a singular truth, not just truth, not just truth and lie, but there are many truths. And for some reason, it's crept into our vocabulary, even within the church today, but all across, all across society, that this is my truth, and this is your truth, and you do you, bro, and, and this is my truth, and that's, this is the way I see it. And that's crept into everyone's uh, vocabulary, and, and, and that's, that's a staple of a pagan society whenever you start to believe that th- uh, there are many, many truths. And truth is relative. Getting into some stuff now that I hope it's not too heavy for you now, but how many knows, of course, if you're a Bible reader at all, uh, the, the ancient god of Baal. Baal. Well, this ancient god of Baal, uh, whom we just look at in Scripture as some sort of random false god or dead god, that was only a representative of something very real. Sure, we would call that God that they worship Baal a a dead God and not a living God, but it's not quite accurate because all of these false gods of the Old Testament and of ancient times were represented maybe by a, 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 a physical form, but there was a spiritual power behind them. A dark spiritual power. Man, this is an evangelistic Sunday morning. Come on, what kind of message is this? Bear with me, please. Just bear with me for a moment. Because this is going to help us understand and take the blinders off of our eyes for uh, all of society all around us. And and apologize already if this isn't a good Thanksgiving message for you today. I, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. YouTube is full of good preaching if you want to go watch some good preaching today. This is all you're getting today from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Baal, specifically, the, the ancient god that was actually quite a, quite a dark spiritual force in the ancient world. He was known as the possessor. He is a god. He is a god that would drive out he would drive out all other gods, all other, all other understandings of the living God 
the real God, Jehovah of the Old Testament, Jesus of the New. He, he was one of those ancient gods. He was a possessor. Whenever a, society, whenever a group began to worship Baal, it was, it was Baal that would come in and it was their understanding of Baal that he would come in and push out anything else but Baal. Baal is our possessor. Baal is our power. Baal is our bull. And for some reason, that God, that ancient spirit that was behind Baal in the old days is starting to, just like so many spirits here, encroach upon our society one more time. Uh, Baal worship, whether you know it or not, is not just an ancient thing. It is a very modern thing as well. Maybe you don't realize that it is, but it is increasingly, increasingly embraced in some form or another, in school, in politics, and entertainment today. Something about a society, whenever we start to become neutral of God, that we start to grow increasingly pagan. And the wicked one of the old begins to come back into a society and begin to possess one more time. But it's not just happy to come back in and take control. He wants to bring some power with him. He wants to bring some buddies with him. Bible says that Baal made Israel forget God. Well, let's just say it this way if we can. Baal made America forget God. Baal is making America forget capital G God. Baal is making America push back God. Remember, it was the gospel that held some of these wicked spirits and these powers at bay for millennia even. But all, all of the sudden now, you have this neutrality that is starting to allow Baal and different ones to creep back into society and cause us to forget God, to forget what God did for us yesterday, to forget what God can do, to forget what, uh, that, that what God actually did was something to begin with. Isn't it amazing? God could literally drop out of heaven, do something incredible in your life yesterday, and today you can relegate it to some sort of misunderstanding of reality and disregard it completely. It's amazing how that works. It's amazing how our psyche works. And it's amazing how the influencer, the powers that be, the wicked powers that be, they can creep in and they can say, what God did for you was not real. He didn't really fill you with the Holy Ghost. That was all in your imagination. That was all something that you worked up within yourself. He didn't really do this. He didn't really heal. He didn't really do that. That person that was healed of this, that was just a common everyday occurrence of the body naturally healing itself. It wasn't a miracle whatsoever. And on and on and on the list goes. Baal made Israel, made America forget God. I'm struggling with my notes to decide how far to go with something and how far not to. Lord, lead me, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Help me right now. It's amazing how the image of Baal is always erected in a society that has forgotten God. 
the image of Baal, all of the sudden, out of nowhere, is raised up. And they wouldn't even call it Baal, but all of the sudden, this bull is raised up. And, and I wish I had gotten with the media before to, to have gotten the bull that is on Wall Street. Many of you who have been to New York have seen it right there in downtown, in the financial center of the world, this large bull right on the street. That's just an example of all through society. Every society that has grown more and more pagan or focused more and more on prosperity has raised the bull image up in their society. A seducing spirit. Seducing spirits coming into the generation, coming into the culture to seduce the generation, to seduce the church even and and it comes in different names and there's that seducing spirit specifically that has almost a feminine nature about it that wants to sexualize and there's there's the there's the bull that's in New York been there for years and so many people walk up and have their picture taken. I've, I think I've had my picture taken with it. It's just it's something that we've grown accustomed to, not realizing the ancient origins of, of these images. The seducing spirits, the seducing spirit uh, specific, specifically that likes to accompany uh, Baal, that it likes to accompany the aggressor. It's that seducing spirit that wants to... Uh, uh, the Canaanites believed it was the wife of Baal, the seducing spirit. And, it, and she had different names all through history, all through ancient times. And, and you would know, if you're a Bible reader at all, you would know, know her as Ashtoreth or Astaroth. In Mesopotamia, she was known as Ishtar. In ancient Greece, she was known as Aphrodite. And in Rome, she was known as Venus. It was that seducing spirit that accompanies the press for prosperity and the press for paganism and the, the, the press for something other than righteousness. And her role, that, that role of the seducing spirit, was to sexualize a society, was to sexualize a culture. And we, off, we often know right here in America, the sexual revolution of the 60s totally, oh, totally transformed. In fact, if you're a student of American history, you can almost draw, draw a line right down 1960 and you can realize that there was something that happened within our society right around that mark that changed us completely forever. And it was the embrace of paganism. It's a pornographic one. It's a, a destroyer of marriages. It's that Venus, that sexualized one. America is the number one consumer of pornographic material in the world. And we're not only the number one consumer, we are the number one producer of pornographic material. And let's go a step further. We're not just that. We are the number one consumer and producer of child porn in the entire world. 
And we eat our hot dogs and we eat our apple pie and we shoot our fireworks on the 4th of July and talk about how God's blessed America, not realizing how far removed we are from Him. Even within the church, even within this local assembly, God's been speaking to me that there is a grip. There is a grip on some people of pornography that I, that I pray in the name of the Lord that He would push back that seducing spirit and that wicked one and drive her from us in the name of the Lord. And it has to start with us right here. I'm, I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired of it. I can feel the heaviness. I can feel the darkness. It's that seducing spirit whenever we sweep the house and we drive out the, the, the living God and we think that we can just be neutral or we think that we can just continue to come to church but not have a relationship with Him. There is this bail and there is this seducing spirit that wants to come in and wants to wreak havoc in your life. God help me, I pray in the name of Jesus. But it's not just bail and it's not just the seducer. It's, it's others. It's, it's Molech, of course. Oh, we know Molech in America. We know Molech so well because that's the God that requires child sacrifice. That's the, that's the God that requires child sacrifice to gain material riches. That The God Molech all through history. That's, that's the idea right there. It's You sacrifice children to get wealthy. And there was something about even in ancient days that it was the... Who were the children that were sacrificed to this God? Molech. Well, of course, it was the poor children. It was the poor children that were offered more, certainly more than the rich. It was the wealthy who... They could avoid sacrificing their children. They could buy someone else's poor child and sacrifice them to help continue their prosperity. Now we do it a little different today, obviously, in America. We, we soothe our modern conscience. Uh, the way we sacrifice is we sacrifice the unborn with the sterilization of modern medicine. We sacrifice it a little different. We're a little, cold, a little more cold rather than the brutal, I'm going to cut your wrist and your neck right here and let you bleed out on the altar. No, we allow the doctor with the mask on and the alcohol in the air to, uh, to sanitize everything to go in and rip you apart limb by limb. primary reason for... I know this is heavy. I apologize for Thanksgiving week preaching such a heavy, heavy message. The primary reason for abortion in the country today, in America, is to remove a career impediment or to remove a lifestyle obstacle. Contrary to popular belief, it is not for the health of the mother or for rape or incest. Less than 1% of all of the millions and millions of abortions performed are for that. Yet if you go on Google right now and you were to say how many abortions are performed. Now, I say right now, I did this 
I did this a couple of months ago, and this is what came back. You would have a hard time finding total number of abortions performed every year in this country. Google scrubs the, 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 uh, the report, scrubs it for you so it's sanitized nice and fresh for you so all you Bible thumpers out there won't get too, too volatile too, or too worked up and Google will simply come back with this response. There's some, but not as much as there used to be. Oh, well, how many? Give me a number. How many every year? Uh, well, it, it's not that many. It's, it, it's, it's less than you would think. Or it's, and they try to get you chasing shadows to keep you guessing as to how many are sacrificing children to this God every day. High priests of paganism. We hear every single day preaching to us. We don't even realize it. We're the church, but we don't even realize it. But we turn on the high priests of paganism every single day and we listen to them in the form of politicians and entertainers tell you how righteous they are and how hayseed, hick, and dumb you are and you don't know what good is or you don't know what love is. Only they do. You're just a backwards fool that's a racist and a on and on and on the list goes. Because they, the high priests of paganism, they are the ones that truly, only ones that truly know what love is. And you Bible thumpers, there's no possible way that you could know what love is. The high priests of paganism, they describe abortion as a sacrament, as a holy act, and it is a righteous act that needs to be upheld at all costs. It's, it's heavy. I know this is heavy right now. Nobody wants to hear this. But here's the interesting thing about a righteous God. If He's going to receive your worship, you need to hear some of this. And you need to understand some of this. And you need to understand how holy He is. I, go, I say all of that to say that our society is worshiping an ancient God. Ancient gods that are allowed back into our society because God and His gospel have been scrubbed and removed. Coming back in saying, thanks for cleaning up the house for me a little bit. Now I think I can really, really do some damage. I could go on and on about ancient gods and goddesses and ancient ones along with the ones that I already named. And, 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 and I'm just going to briefly talk about there's this, this thing in our society today. Confusion. There, it's been all through history. All through history there's been this this understanding that you can be transformed if you wish. In fact, there was an ancient God that accompanied so many of these other, other gods and He was called a transformer and He claimed in ancient tablets that this is the quote of the ancient God, I am a woman, I am a man. Nothing new under the sun, is there? 
And there were hymns saying in these ancient temples to these ancient gods, she has the power to turn a woman into a man and a man into the woman. The priests of this ancient god were men who dressed up like women. Sometimes they went as far in the primitive days that I'm speaking of to take stones to surgically alter themselves to be like what this God says they should be. But we turn on our Fox News and we turn on our talk radio and we act like this is all just news that's going on today for the very first time. And we push it back and we push it aside and we act like if I can just turn on some country music, good old down-home southern country music, and talk about how great the country is and bathe myself in the red, white, and blue, then all of a sudden all of this isn't as important as it really is. I'm talking about a society that removes God from itself. And on the micro, I'm talking about an individual that removes God from his or herself. Just a few years ago, a lot of this stuff wasn't mainstream. A lot of this stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about or even that we see in the world was not mainstream. A lot of this wasn't mainstream at all. But isn't it interesting how all of the sudden at the, at the click of a dial or at the, as, the, as the hour hand strikes a certain hour, it seems like the same thing all over the world begins to surface. Almost as if it's designed. Almost as if there's a power at work. There was, something, there was something about, and I don't want to, trust me, I don't want to romanticize the past of America. Please, I don't want to romanticize and say that it was something that it wasn't. But there was something whenever you embrace Judeo-Christian values and you embrace the gospel message, there's something about an individual and a society that holds some of this stuff at bay. There was something about a society that said we're going to embrace this. That even, I spoke the other day about being in Spokane, Washington for a while. There was, there was this wonderful man of God back in the early 20th century by the name of John G. Lake. Do a search on him. He had healing rooms in Spokane. He literally prayed for people and healed hundreds of thousands of people in Spokane, Washington. It was known in, in, in society of the time as being one of the healthiest cities in the world because of the righteousness of a preacher who believed in healing. Who believed in righteousness. At the beginning of the 20th century, whenever, whenever Pentecost was just starting to flourish in this country, he had healing rooms. I used to work in an event center where the name on one of the rooms was the John G. Lake Room. As a testament to this man and his work for God years ago. But as he passed off the scene and, and society began to let go of the godly righteousness that he preached, well, guess what happened to Spokane? It's one of the most crime-ridden cities in the country today. 
My wife used to work for the Spokane County Prosecutor's Office. She used to see firsthand all of the descent into depravity that that, that city and that whole area of eastern Washington and northwest Idaho was. Major, major trading ground for child trafficking and major crossroads for tra child trafficking and drug use. Not too long ago, relatively speaking, it was one of the healthiest in the world. And if you needed your healing, you could go to Spokane. You could go to one of the healing rooms of John G. Lake and you could get your healing by the hundreds of thousands. But here we are in 2023 as a microcosm of the globe in general and as the country. That how whenever you push back the things of God and you get rid of the things of God and you just try to be neutral of God, well, guess what happens? Here comes the wicked one. Pagan cultures, pagan societies. Always lead to demonic possession. Oh, tiptoe lightly. We're talking about crazy town now. Demonic possession. That's not stuff that happens. That's just a misunderstanding of what we know to be mental illness now. Or etc. etc. No, it was the gospel. It was the gospel that kept at bay demonic possession for decades and for generations in this country. It was the gospel for decades that kept societal possession at bay for decades. Mark my word, there is an increase coming because of the very nature of the spirit realm, there is, a, there is an increase coming in demonic possession. In fact, we're starting to see it now, but the news reports uh, either won't report it or they're redefining what you're seeing. But demonic possession is and will be on the increase. So that's the reason I'm standing before you here today on this Thanksgiving week while half of you are asleep or on your phone. That there needs to be a separation of church and church. Well, what do you mean by that? Separation of church and church. I'm, I'm not saying that anybody needs to leave. I'm not saying that. I need, I'm, what I'm saying is there needs to be a change of mentality on what my role in the church is. There needs to be a separation from the way I've always thought about what church is, what I do in church, and what God expects the church to be, and what He expects for me to be. Separation of church and church. I want to be the church of the living God. I want to be the true church of the living God that 
dwells with Him in heavenly places, going to war against the wicked one with Him, pushing back the strongholds, pushing back the darkness that wants to influence and take my family and take your family. I want it to start right here in Dewajak. I want it to start right here in each of our families and each of our homes. I want it to start with us by understanding that we are the church of the living God, sons and daughters of God, with power and authority in our mouths. If we would just Wake up and be that. God, wake me up. Wake me up by allowing me the opportunity to stir myself. Don't wake me up whenever I'm all of the sudden staring down a catastrophic event within my family or within my community. Don't wake me up then. Wake me up now when I have the opportunity with my, with my own ability to stir myself, to shake myself, and to turn back to you, and to turn back to righteousness, and to turn to the things of God. There was a reason Sister Connie preached about worship. Worship 101 and the power that is in worship and the responsibility that is in worship and why I'm preaching this today because God wants His church to be a true church, a worshiping church, a power-filled church. A church that can speak with authority, that can speak against the wicked one, that can speak against confusion, that can speak against the darkness that wants to take us. What good is just another American holiday as we go through the holidays quickly to approach another commercialized holiday as we quickly approach another commercialized holiday if we don't realize that there's something deeper here that we need to understand and appreciate. If I'm going to give thanks to Him, I need to understand that He is worth giving thanks to. I don't mean to scare you. I don't mean to be heavy. I don't mean to drop this truth bomb on you today and and shake you out of your comfort zone. Well, maybe I do just a little bit. But it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for us to shake ourselves awake. Wake ourselves up. Don't lull ourselves into a, a place of complacency to where we just come to grips with the secularized pagan society all around us and embrace it. And say, well, it is what it is. They're living their truth. If they live their truth, well, guess what ultimately is going to happen? They're going to evangelize and force their truth on you. Because spirituality is not neutral. That's the... If I could just be a pastor, man, pastors have it made. <laughs> pastors have it made. You gotta do nothing. Just go play golf when it's warm, go ski when it's cold, man. That's, that's easy. Except whenever God's dropping these heavy things into your spirit week after week as He contends for the soul of a body. <laughs> Hiranda 
I, I told you God's dealing with me about people in the church that are struggling with things, struggling with pornography, struggling with things. And I would, I would never embarrass anyone. That is not the goal or the role of the pastor or of a church. It is my role to cause you to wake up and start to pursue Him. He's giving you an opportunity right now. He's giving us an opportunity to shake ourselves awake and start to turn back to Him. To start to turn back to Him and be a true worshiper. To start to turn back to Him and be the church. He's dealing with me. He's starting to talk to me and He's starting to speak to me about this body and how it's it's imperative. It's imperative imperative for us to start doing some things again. And I'm not just talking about social things and fellowship. Of course, that is important and we're going to do more of that in the future. But it is important, vitally important, that we start to push back the plate just a little bit. That we start to fast once again. That we start to remove ourselves from the equation one more time. And we start to sacrifice. And we start to say, not my will, but yours. It's all about you. It's not about me or my lineage or my heritage. It's not about, not about the heritage of the local assembly. It's about your church and what you're going to do. He's speaking. He's saying, push back the plate. If, if, you're not a, if you're not a faster, if you've never been a faster before, don't start with something heavy. But it, God is asking you to start giving up something occasionally. He's asking you. He's asking this church, if, you're, if you really love some coffee, start to sacrifice a cup of coffee every now and then. If you really love food... If you really love food like I do, start to push back the plate every now and then. Start to fast. Start to separate. Start to acknowledge the righteousness and the holiness of Him again. But don't just do that because if you just do that, well, guess what? You just created a dieting fad. Just, just like intermittent fasting. That's all you've done. You've got to accompany that with prayer. Not only do you accompany, accompany it with your current prayer life, you have to increase prayer while you're doing that. Or else it's all vain. It's all empty. Or else it's just a dieting fad. And how many knows that intermittent fasting is the most popular of all right now? That's great if you're doing that. How about doing double duty and praying with that? Because all of a sudden when you pray along with that, you start to do something incredible in the kingdom and for Him. And you start to stir and you start to... I know, I know, I was already told by someone, if you preach this, you're getting ready to stir up hell in your church. Already told it. Already told, I was already told that. I was already told that. So what is the answer? Do you preach it or do you not preach it? Do you preach it or do you allow yourself to stay in bed for another 15 minutes? Hit the snooze alarm. We'll just hit the snooze alarm for another 15 years instead of 15 minutes. We'll just hit the snooze alarm for another period of time. And then when we wake up and our subsequent generations don't have a clue about Pentecost or don't have a clue about righteousness or don't have a clue about the things of God, will we shake ourselves then or will we realize it's too late? 
Well, we realize that it's too late at that point, and and all of a sudden we're pushing against against a wave that it's so much harder to push against. You just feel the spirit of God. Feel the spirit of God beginning to stir. You know what the, be- the beautiful thing about conviction is? It's not to push you away from God. It is, it is by definition the mercy of God that convicts you, that allows you the opportunity to come closer to Him by realizing there is error. But we associate conviction with condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. God is not condemning you at all to push you away from Him. He is using this word, this opportunity, yes, even the heavy word, as an opportunity to bring you in to Him. As we all stand. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us. We need your guidance. We need your hand. We need your authority. We need your grace, which I've preached about to this congregation. Your grace is the teacher that will help us if we allow it. I pray that you would shake us Stir us that you would allow us to wake up from a slumber and from a sleep. I'm not saying everyone. I'm not saying everyone is sleeping. I'm not saying, but there is this, there is this spirit that's hovering over the congregation that wants to keep us in this place of being dazed. Almost in a twilight. We're not, we're not awake, but we're not asleep. But we feel like we can't do anything to stop anything that's happening around us. I pray in the name of the Lord that you would loose us, that you would wake us, and that you would bind the wicked one that wants to deceive and destroy. I bind the possessor. I bind the seducer. I bind those spirits in the name of the Lord. As the scripture says, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus.